firm and unwavering when we say Black Lives Matter. Okay, so welcome to the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan. And with us today over the phone is co-host Scott Raven. Welcome, Scott. Hey there, VJ. How you feeling today? Hey, doing well, doing well, thanks. Um, so our special guest is Esther Matthew, who is a uh, writer and artist from Queens, New York. She graduated in 2017 from Colby College with honors in uh, independent major in environmental planning, media, and design. Her first collection, uh, poetry collection, Constellations, was published with Hunt and Light in 2015. Recently, her work um, has been published in the Poets of Queens Anthology, the New Directions Anthology of Literary and Visual Arts. Esther has performed readings for Nosphere uh, Arts Space, Longfellow Books, Harbor Books, and the New York Poetry Festival, as well as the Poets of Queens Reading Series. Welcome, Esther. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, thank you. So, yeah, we were just discussing how time is suddenly going so by so quickly uh, in the pandemic. And after the, uh, you know, first it was going very slowly during the lockdown and how the malleability time is already like, you know, October and uh, nearing the end of October almost. So it's like, uh, it's amazing how quickly time passes. Yeah. Yeah. Everything kind of uh, speed morphed there. Yeah, yeah. So why don't we start the conversation off a little bit about your background in environmental science and how... You know, that's something that um, is very concerning for many people and, and for, for the planet. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you uh, studied and, and how your studies uh, independent major and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So part of why I went to Colby specifically is because they have a strong environmental studies program. Um, and when I got there, I was specifically interested in sustainable design and the intersections between my art and my interest in environmental sustainability. So I was able to create a major that combined portions of the environmental policy degree with uh, creative writing. Specifically, I was focused in poetry and uh, visual art where I focused in photography. Mm. Um, so I sort of got to take classes from all of those sections as well as some from like the theater department that focused more on like spatial design um, sort of to work in the direction that I was specifically interested in rather than branching off into policy, which is super interesting and super important, but not really where I want to go in the environmental sphere. Yeah, yeah, like design, like how to create like all these different spaces for a more um, ecologically safe or ecologically uh, sound uh, structures. Yeah, um, and that's, I, I've, I've had an interest in architecture for a long time, so buildings, but also I think like design in terms of the things that we interact with on a daily basis and like how we build our physical lives is really interesting to me. Mm. And I think that uh, if we really want to like create the change that we need to on a broad environmental level, that has to come down to every level of our lives. Mm. And I mean, I don't think we're going to like design our way out of the climate crisis with recycled plastic, but I do think that the things that we like hold in touch every day have a big impact on like broader issues and how we interact with them. Mm. Wonderful. Now, as, as we're talking kind of about, you know, uh, at the top, you know, as time passes or, or, and whatnot, um, I, I was reading that, you know, your early passion for the environment started back in, in was it fourth grade? Uh, yeah. I guess you had a, a teacher. Can you tell a little bit about, you know, kind of your first connections, kind of uh, where, where this, this stems from? Yeah, totally. Um, so my fourth grade teacher, Linda Godon, was um, one of the most incredible teachers I've had to this day. Um, she was just like very 
talented at connecting with people, connecting with children, like sort of on the same level that she connected with adults um, and recognizing like the individual in all of her students. Um, So she definitely had a really big impact on me in a lot of ways. Um, But one way was that she was really passionate about the environment and showing up in environmental organizing and making a difference both individually and systemically. And that was something that as she was sort of like a, a hero for me. So I sort of took that from my interactions with her and she actually passed away at the end of the year that I was in fourth grade. Um, so in the last couple months, uh, she died of breast cancer. And I think like a big way for me to memorialize her in my first real interaction with serious loss as a kid was to think about the things that she had taught me. And one of the biggest ones was like concern for the environment. Um, so that was something that I immediately took forward and started like trying to get everyone around me to like boycott Kleenex because at the time they were clear cutting the boreal forest. So I tried to get everybody in my school to stop buying Kimberly Clark products. Um, and that just like sort of grew into what has become one of the most central parts of my life. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting how the, um, the comments on the interconnectedness of all things is like how, you know, one, one product or one company might be doing X, Y, and Z and how we're, where um, we're all kind of consumers in this, this this setup of the whole society is like very much to words like you know our our kind of drop of water is being put into that vast ocean that you know that ultimately or that those buckets that at the very least that are overflowing with kind of these kind of problematic behaviors and stuff like that and at the very least and there's so much power in that you know, and with us as consumers that we don't recognize as much normally. You know, and that our yeah. ability to have an impact is, is quite great. Yeah, for sure. And like, I, I also think that we need to put a lot of responsibility on like the big corporations and governmental mm. bodies that are causing like the huge components of the harm. But that said, like, I think harnessing the power that we have as individuals and in some cases that's consumer power as well as like public action power. But like thinking about the things that you are consuming in your life, obviously our systems are set up so that we are forced to consume in a lot of ways, but we definitely have power to like change things on a local level. Yeah. Also, it seems like uh, the health of the individuals. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I mean, I was just going to say, you know, what, what, uh, where has the, you know, the writing aspect of your life intersected with this? And have you, uh, did that come when you were in at college, or were you writing uh, kind of about environmental issues? Um, uh, I guess uh, back back in school, even in high school. Um, at what point is, is that is that is that happening for you? Yeah, um, the writing aspect. Yeah, I don't know that they've ever been entirely separate for me. Um, I think writing is so much of a way that I like interact with the world, both in terms of processing and like it. My urge to create and like put my thoughts out on paper um I think it definitely became more refined in terms of writing about the environment as I was in college and I was reading other people who were doing that Um, like Terry Tempest Williams has had a really big impact on my way of understanding how to write about like the self and also the environment um but I definitely remember being in school writing like poetry as well as short stories about different environmental issues that were going on and I think just like I, I definitely want to do that in a way that is not just like a polemic, but 
I think that all of these things are so related to each other that the environment is always showing up in my work mm. um, because it is, I, I am living in it and the impacts of climate change, for example, are like very much folded into all of our lives at this point. Yeah, yeah. it seems like also, as I was saying, like the health of individuals are very much connected to the health of the planet. So we think about, you know, kind of fostering good, good, um, when we foster a good environment, we're fostering good mental health in our, in ourselves, in our, in our, in our, um, in the people around us. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, like mental and physical health, mm. all really deeply impacted by the spaces that we're in and the health of our planet and communities. Yeah. I understand you're also an advocate for uh, mental health. So if you want to talk a little bit about how, and we can discuss that. We can get an open forum about kind of how, in what ways are we impacted, and what ways can we can we correct, or what ways can we can we really foster this kind of a thing? I think writing is part of it. It seems like kind of expressing oneself and being able to feel connected with the underlying currents that are going through, but also recognizing like we can have an impact on the environments we inhabit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Depression and anxiety have definitely been prominent parts of my life for a long time. Um, and I had experience in college of sort of fighting against the really like woefully insufficient systems we had in place to support people, which sort of turned into me being like the little spokesperson for mental health services on campus, mm. um, which was, you know, probably not an ideal position for me to be in for my own health at times. And also I was not like qualified to be anybody's mental health professional. Mm. Um, but it was definitely like a big growing experience for me to be able to like use my voice to like walk up to the college president and talk to him about what was going on on campus. Um, but it definitely like brought home for me, like no, nobody is dealing with these things in a vacuum. And like our communities do have such an impact on how we're able to do it. And I think community and environment, like obviously are not exactly the same, but I think how we treat our communities and how we treat like the planet and the environment around us are really connected um, and have a lot to do with like respect and consideration for other beings, other humans, all of it. Um, So I think that advocating for mental health in that way sort of introduced me to different ways of advocating for the environment. Um, But then also like you were saying about mental health and writing being connected, I think mental health has definitely been a big theme in my writing because it's such a big theme in what I experience. I think that as a lot of writers and artists who deal with mental health, there becomes a little box where people are like, oh, you can create things because you experience mental illness. And I think that's mm. a really dangerous narrative. That said, like writing about my experience of mental illness has been really important to me and a big part of my personal wellness. So I think it's a little a little more complex than just that box that people sometimes build. Yeah. And also it seems like the, the whole structure is like built upon illness or wellness. And that binary is really disrupted because, you know, people like to put people in boxes when they, they're diagnosed, but um, you know, it's just, it's so ridiculous because it's like everyone has their, their kind of spectrum of wellness. Yes. And I think acknowledging that, acknowledging that, you know, I know my own journey and being in college and stuff like that, going through similar issues and, and being diagnosed with bipolar, it's like, that's like, it becomes a stigma, you yes. know, it becomes like very stigmatic. Totally. And the point is to free, to understand that we're all going through that spectrum of wellness and illness. Yeah. yeah. It's like some people have a label put on it. Some people have a diagnosable condition, but mm. like 
everybody has mental health and wellness and the way that we box it off from physical health is very interesting considering Mm. that our brains are part of our bodies but Mm. um for sure it's definitely like a bigger spectrum and a bigger idea of wellness that we don't culturally talk about a lot right uh, could could you also talk a little bit about how maybe the, the physical environment of, of Colby College did did affect kind of mental health and and uh, how you kind of consider that if where you're, I'm not sure where you're currently living. Um, you know, are you in Queens? Uh, um, now, I or? I currently live in Bushwick. Uh, my family is in Queens, okay. so I'm kind of in in both places. Gotcha, gotcha. Because I've actually been to yeah Colby College. Uh, oh wow, my, my performance group. We we performed there, I guess, in 2014. I'm not sure if you were uh, you were there during that year. It was, uh, I think, there's like kind of like a cellar there that has, uh, I guess, like the campus bar slash yes. uh, performance venue. Yeah. Um, and you know, I know just from what I know of Maine, a beautiful you know place, and, and how maybe that kind of you know the out, the out the nature there contributed to your, your mental health. And if you kind of consider that, and you know where you choose to live or, or where uh, where you end up. Uh, writing and and creating. Yeah, totally. Um, Thank you for asking that. Um, Another reason that I went to Colby, aside from the environmental studies program, was um, Maine has sort of been my my favorite place for my whole life. My family spent my childhood attempting to move to Maine, and it didn't pan out, but we would go to Maine every year for some time. Um, So definitely being in the physical environment of Colby was in a lot of ways like really restorative to my mental health. Um, Colby in particular has like a huge arboretum. um, So a lot of access to nature. And then of course there's just the whole state of Maine. So like being able to go explore like the coast, um, explore sort of more of some of the more inland regions. Um, And I think that that was one incredible thing about my college experience as someone who has lived in New York for the whole rest of my life um, where, you know, there are certainly natural environments in New York, but it, it, it's a very different kind of landscape. Uh, and I think it was huge for me to be able to like connect to place in that way while I was at Colby. Um, so I think that's really incredible and definitely being in that kind of place again in the future is important to me. I find it like also very good for my work. Like I, I'm much better at creating when I am in a space like that um, because I feel so much more like connected and fulfilled by my surroundings. Yeah. And uh, how is um, the Bushwick New York city? How is that uh, like in- enhanced or, you know, cause now, now and I feel like nature is not, I mean, this sells some parks and all that, but it's very like segmented, you know, in New York city. So do you feel like right. that's something that can, we can improve on or is that area? So when you go to like places like Vancouver, you know, I feel like they're more integrated. The spaces are more integrated. Whereas in New York city, I feel like really like sections off its parks and then, yeah. and all the few trees that are around on the streets are like being cut down now. And it's just yeah. really unfortunate, you know? Yeah. I definitely think about that a lot, like ways that we can incorporate like more green space and more natural environments into the city. Obviously I'm not like an expert urban planner, Um, But I think it is really important, especially I think New York, in addition to like sectioning off our parks, it's very obvious which neighborhoods our parks are in. And they are definitely primarily wealthy white neighborhoods, Mm -hmm. Um, whereas you see parks in neighborhoods that maybe are in lower income areas or are in less white areas are much more threatened by development than, you know, Central Park, which is Mm -hmm. great. I love Central Park. 
um, but it's also not going to get bought by a developer anytime yeah. soon. Um, so I think that like, yes, increasing the parks we have is important, but sort of like you're saying, like our trees are all in little plots and the trees we have are getting cut down. Um, I think reimagining how we interact with nature is important. Mm. And I, cause I think you're right. Like it could be much more incorporated into our mundane surroundings than it is where you see, you know, like a little struggling grass coming up in between the sidewalk. Like I think there's opportunities for us to see more green than that. Mm. And just, you know, on that connectedness of topics, like seeing green is really good for our brains and really good for our mental health. And I, biophilic design has like positive climate impacts and positive mental health impacts. Um, so I think that that is sort of a necessary future for the design of cities in general, but I I'm especially concerned with it in New York since that's where I'm from and where I live. All right. Now did during kind of this pandemic, did you find yourself, you know, going outside uh, very much or, or were you kind of trying to curate your, your environment at home to uh, suit kind of creative needs, and, uh, you know, whether it's like plants or, 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 or whatever in, inside. But um, yeah, what, what were some of the things maybe you did over the past couple months to help uh, connect you to that, to nature in, in some ways, even living in, in Bushwick? Yeah, um, there was definitely some of both. Um, there was sort of a running joke that my roommate and I went to, we live very close to one park um, and we were in the same spot in this park so often that people we knew in the neighborhood would not text us. They would just kind of like pass by in the park and we would inevitably be there. Um, so I definitely tried to spend as much time as I could um, away from other humans, but outside when possible. Um, uh, and I did a little bit of my, my brother living close by was nice. Like we drove up to bear mountain at one point. So getting out of the city was great, but I was also definitely trying to be very careful and not leaving my house or my neighborhood very much. Um, so then I was also doing the other part of that that you mentioned, which was like making my home as much of a good, positive green space as I could. So making sure all of my, all of my little plants scattered around my house were doing well, trying to take care of them, making sure my cat was not eating them, which she occasionally likes to take a crunch out of my snake plant. So it's our constant struggle. (laughs) (laughs) So I I noticed when I was, reading some of your uh, answers to some questions not only uh are you looking at nature but gazing gazing your uh your glances upward and kind of an interest in, in the stars uh can you tell us a little bit about you know kind of where that might have came from and i believe one of uh I, I guess your your first book was called constellation uh where where is that kind of come into play yeah i mean i think like a lot of kids i just thought space was really cool is where it started um and you know both like actual like the science of space so like I went to college and immediately took an astrophysics class because I was like please I need to know about stars um but also sort of mythologies around space and like romantic ideas about like this great dark expanse and you know it all lends itself very well to poetry and as someone with an interest in like fantasy and mythology um there's sort of infinite room for play there. Um, so I have definitely written about like the night in relation to natural spaces. I think I also, I, I, when I was younger, I did not 
sleep very much. So I spent a lot of time awake at night. I feel like very connected to nighttime as a time that's like quiet. Other people aren't really around. It's a time when I can get some solitude and that may be creative time. It may be just me sitting in my room with some tea reading, but I really like that like darker, quieter time as well. So I think that has also drawn me to this idea of like stars and constellations and space is being awake in that time when other people are maybe not awake. Um, and then constellations as the title of my book. Um, I also think this idea of like telling stories out of the shapes that we make out of the stars in the sky is, is really interesting. And it's, it's so like normalized that I, you know, the constellations are there. Like there's Libra and there's the big Dipper. Um, but like, it is very strange that we have these little pinpoints that we put together into stories. And I think that it, it drew a connection for me between the way that like poetry can work as it, it's a lot of tiny little moments and little snatches of words that grow together into these bigger pictures with connections that are maybe a little bit fabricated between them, but definitely exist. Right. Are, are there any uh, specific constellations that, that kind of feel uh, a connection to in, in any way that, that you look up and there's some, I guess, um, you know, you mentioned Big Dipper and, and, and what in particular that you gravitate towards? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely spending most of my time in New York City, I'm just excited when I can see constellations. Um, mm. So, you know, we, we get our, our occasional north star or planet in the city um but i'm very excited when i'm out in maine or other places outside of the city and i can look up and actually see the stars um definitely ground myself in some more obvious ones so i look for the big dipper um i love cassiopeia um but just also like to be able to see more than just the reflection of the city lights back at me Mm. Now that we get a chance to dive into a little bit of your poetry, and you can tell us a little bit more about um, the influences as well afterwards, you know, kind of things, uh, writers or or works that have influenced you, and then we can dive into your poetry, or we can do either, or we can do first dive into your poetry and then talk a little bit about what's influenced that. So first, why don't you select a few poems, and then we'll uh, we'll listen to a little bit from your new poetry. Um, So you get a chance to select a few things, and you can talk talk us through your process, yeah. Yeah, um, so this first one that I'm going to read is called Absence. When the end times come, high waters and hot skies, you will know me by what I am missing, my nerve, my best velvet dress, the last shreds of my good mind. You will know me by my shallow breaths and the quick scamper of my heart. At the end, what will any of us be but empty, but the traces of our own prowling across the scorching dirt? The grit of this city, the meat of our bones hanging loose. What will any of us be but small silver fish in a scummed over pond? I, who am never without headphones, paper, water bottle, keys, will be the clean and empty echo of my lack. I, who have never let go of my compulsions and routines, the irritated picking at my skin, who have never gone easy with things, will sigh out into an end as simple as that. At the threshold of myself, I fracture, I become luminescent, I dark matter, dying star. The transgressions of my body are its sins, its blessings. The transgressions of my body are the same as the transgressions of the land. How it loves itself, 
how it loves to grow, how it remembers and forgets, how the edges of it shimmer into nothing, into death and darkness, into empty space. Beautiful. Yeah, we grow more, yeah. Yeah. Right, so this one is in the first place. First myth, I was made by my own hands, two wayward birds caught between misdirected winds, the surge and shuffle of the air above the sea. My bird fingers feathered predated my hands, my lungs, my heavy body. The premonition of my nervous tics made gentle folds in the dark and humid air, and like a cat out of the fog, I stepped into the world. Second myth, I was made by the blue-green trails of luminescence falling in slow curtains from my body as it drifted through the water. Third myth, the stonework of my bones was laid first and grown over. The moss overtook me, the roots of trees, worms and leaf litter, mice with their sharp teeth and small, nervous hands. The skin and sinew grew around my settled structure. Breath came after. Fourth myth, caught in the small space between two high rocks, I sawed my hand off. It fell to the earth and sprouted a new self, and my soul stepped into her. Fifth myth, I was born from the mouth of a lizard, dry and tumbling. From its jaws, it spit me on the hard ground, and I grew upwards. Sixth myth, I emerged from the thought of my mother, from her head like a wayward god. She bore me in her brain and body like a rhythm. She drew my shape on butcher paper and I sprang into it. Seventh myth, I was born at the end of summer, first breath of hot autumn. The sun was in Virgo and my heart was beating. Thank you. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Beautiful. So yeah, so going into, yeah. yeah. Well, I just wanted to make a comment that I love those two pieces together as in, you know, kind of the first being the end of times and then this kind of being the beginning of times, the yeah. second one. Um, pairing those, those, those together. Um, I mean, I, I, I kind of wanted to just ask as, as it pertains just to environment, uh, and, uh, you know, the state of it in the, the United States of mm-hmm. where you, you feel that, uh, you know, kind of collectively the country is going in terms of, uh, are we closer to the, to the end of times or, or, uh, is there a chance for kind of like a, 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 a rebirth and we can reverse some of the damage that has been inflicted upon. Yeah, um, I, I mean, that's a great question. I I definitely feel the, the end of times dread a lot of times. I think that definitely comes out in that first piece that I read. But, you know, I you look around and you see the climate disasters that are happening in the country and I think it's, it's really devastating to see what we have already lost and what we're going to continue to lose. Um, that said, I think that like dreaming of better climate futures is like really beautiful and really like hopeful. And I, I do think that we can create a world that works better. I don't think that we can undo everything we've done. And I think there are things that we're going to lose and we need to like grieve for those things, but also come to terms with the fact that we have already lost them. Um, but I don't think it's like over for us. And I think total climate doom is not super helpful because we don't have a lot of time if we want to create those beautiful futures. Um, Dr. Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson is definitely someone who inspires me a lot in this space of, um, you know, she, she is a scientist and she has 
a lot of perspective on what we have already done wrong and what we have continued to ignore and do incorrectly. Um, but she brings to her work a lot of hope for how we can imagine better spaces. You know, I think things like 30 by 30, the idea that we need to protect 30% of our lands and waters by 2030, like, yes, we need to get on those things and we need to think about how we can, like, not just how we can save what we have, but how we can build something that is even better than what we have. So going into, like, uh, your artistic influences and who and what kind of literature you're reading or what was the, what are some of the things you're reading growing up and and what you're reading now what you're viewing consuming now and how that um that affects your your process yeah yeah um i have always <clears throat> definitely um been i i will read whatever i can get my hands on all the time which is not to say that i don't have preferences but mostly i just like to be reading as much as I can some things that had like a really big impact on me as a kid um definitely like different fantasy and myth stories you know Lord of the Rings I did encounter first as the movies um but eventually also the books um and uh the Phantom Tollbooth was a book that also like hugely influenced me just the ways that it plays with like it's it's a hero's journey but it's also about like taking idioms really literally and playing with language a lot, which has always been really fun to me, just words themselves. Um, and then, you know, as I mentioned, Terry Tempest Williams, other people who are writing like really beautiful work that is also talking about the environment in really powerful ways has been really impactful to me more recently. Um, continuing to read a lot of sci-fi and fantasy um, N.K. Jemison's The Fifth Season is one that I read recently that, like, I was like, whoa, I need to reconnect to my, like, imaginative roots, think about different worlds. Um, and then sort of a school of poetry that has influenced me a lot, and I think I sort of um, ebb in and out of how much my work reflects this is um, Ariel Greenberg and uh, Laura Glennam have a concept of the girlesque, which is, I think they describe it as a girly, grotesque, burlesque poetics. Mm -hmm. um, so it's very rooted in feminism and um, what girlhood is in our culture, but also like in in embracing the gross with that as well. Mm. Um, I think for me, a lot of that tends to be focused on like uh, mental illness in addition to the body, um, whereas a lot of work in the girlesque is very like body focused mm. um but i think that kind of like looking at what is actually there and being honest about what's actually there in a way that's maybe not super palatable has always been really inspiring to me yeah i think it comments a little bit on the objectification of women how like yeah you know, especially given the fact that you know the media is such a you know kind of idyllification or making them thinking like the body as being a tapestry of like not not connected to the real experience, but rather like commodity rather than yeah, yeah. like like a a body is a thing to be like <clears throat> perfected and not mm. a lived experience that has mm. you know like great beautiful things and also like guts inside of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But in anything, it's like the commodification and, and being able to like disrupt the idea of the fetishization and yes. all this kind of thing, disrupting that, disrupting the the kind of um yeah, objectification, all this kind of all these kind of related 
things. And, and, you know, I think it's interesting to think about because it's like, um, you know, even the mind itself, as you're saying, is like, you know, we have the, the, the um, light love and laughter, all this kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. rather, like yeah. focusing in on the positive rather than like acknowledging and integrating in the negative yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's definitely a narrative of like good, good vibes only. And yeah. I, I think positivity has a place and is great. Um, but we definitely do a lot of silencing of many difficult things, including yeah. um, things related to mental health culturally. And I just because of who I am as a as a person, it has always been really helpful to me to be open and talk about my experience of mental health. Like I, I, I tell people when I'm having a bad time. Um, I don't think that's always super comfortable for other people. Um, and I definitely don't want to be like a, an, an ominous presence. So part of that is being responsive to where other people are at as well, making sure that I am not like overcoming any boundaries, but I think being honest about those things can be really powerful, even when it's just being like, yeah, it's uh, it's not great right now. Yeah. And this connects to... Yeah, go ahead. No, you, 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 Vijay. Sorry. I was going to say, um, it connects to what you... When you're kind of sharing a principal discipline, you're writing what you hope um, listeners will receive from you. I think a lot of times, like, you know, when it comes to these kinds of issues, a lot of times we feel overwhelmed. We feel like we can't do anything. That the anxiety seems like a natural response you know, the anxiety and depression seems like a natural response to the climate, uh, you know, kind of situation and, you know, and how to overcome that how to be able to feel empowered is part of, I think, the process, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, totally. I think, I don't know how I would process the world without, um, you know, all of the art that I make, but especially my poetry, like it ultimately it becomes a, a polished craft that I'm putting forth into the world, but it definitely often begins as, a place for me to deal with, you know, a lot of what's going on in myself and also in the world. Um, so definitely when I'm working with, when I'm introducing other people to writing, I want other people to have that space to be able to process for themselves and also just like explore and invent and have fun. Yeah. Right. I, I was just going to ask if you prefer to be read or uh, to, to kind of perform uh, or, or uh, read out your poetry uh, and just kind of kind of the difference of approach that that has uh, uh, has brought about in you know your journey with with, um, with writing um, kind of a little bit of a difference between yeah, the performing of it and then having a book out and people uh, reading reading the work yeah um, I think for me it varies it depends on the poem for me I think um, and I think that is sometimes in my, it, it's part of the process of the poem. I'm very aware of if it's something that is page oriented or voice oriented. I mean, I, I, I love design. I love books. I love to see my words on a page. It's very exciting to me. Um, and I definitely, there's forms that I've played with, especially recently. Um, I was working on a series that was very like flow chart inspired. So at different stanzas are sort of like spread out in the page and can be read in different orders following sort of like a flow chart series of arrows. So that's, you know, the work that is more based on visual form like that. I definitely prefer to have somebody look at than to read. Um, but also when I was in college, I organized um, open mics. So we had an open mic pretty much once a month, every month that I was in school. Um, and that was really fun and also really generative to have this 
event that I knew once a month I was going to be reading work to people. Um, not necessarily, you know, like finished, polished, absolutely ready to go work, but to get to play around more with reading for people and hearing how the words sound um, and just like making things to share. Yeah, and also um, I'm thinking what else is coming up for me as far as there's so many rich uh, areas to explore. And um, also I want to get a moment just to say, you know, uh, Esther's in the studio. Here, this is the Truth of Power show on Radio for Brooklyn. Uh, Scott is calling in by the phone. Esther's in the studio. And you, know, you, have some, you have some beautiful tapestries on your arm uh, of tattoos. If you want to kind of tell a little bit about uh, some of the images are very striking. So if you want to tell us a little bit about some of the images that inspired you and uh, and bring us through a few of them. This is several yeah. that I can see visibly, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, my first tattoos and the ones that I definitely planned for the longest and thought about the most, because I think a first tattoo is probably the most intimidating tattoo. Mm. Um, I wanted, I, I loved like illustrated myths and storybooks as a kid. I still love them. Um, I have some books that I've had since I was really little that just have really incredible illustrations. Um, so I wanted kind of like storybook fantasy illustrations. Um, so my first tattoo is a diamond on my arm that has like a sea scape filled in and it has a little castle on a cliff in the background. Very much the kind of like, this is a fantasy book and here yeah. is the castle up on the cliff. Um, and so then on the other arm to kind of mirror that I have a diamond that has um, so like a, a land based landscape to have both land and water. Mm. Um, so I have some mountains uh, and some clouds. There's a little bird in the top. The bird does kind of look like a dragon, which I was very into. <laughs> yeah. Um, so having that both like it's a connection to land, but it's also a connection to like stories and imagination. Nice. Um, and then the other one that you can see is I have Joan of Arc on my arm. Yeah. Um, I Joan of Arc is just someone who I think I, I periodically have waves of being incredibly into Joan of Arc. Um, at one point for a class, wrote a hist historiography of her, so really dove into like what has she meant to different people who are writing about her through time. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think in terms of like the actual actions, like I, I'm not inspired in the sense that I want to like lead an army to take back France but <laughs> um but I think that that sort of play with gender and um like power in in this image of like a, a girl who is like divinely driven and in armor is very cool to me mm. Interesting. Yeah, wow, so. quite the mural that I, that I, don't <laughs> get to, I, I can't see uh yeah I'm, I'm currently calling so I told you from a car these <laughs> are just starting to turn, so Ooh. I got kind of those those images, which is, which is nice. Nice. Um, um, and uh, Joan of Arc, yeah, I, I did a production of Saint Joan in college. I Ooh. That's yeah. Um, well, I, I was going to ask, and given your two kind of main interests of like uh, photography and poetry, what what can a uh, what can a, a photo do that a poem can't, and vice versa? Yeah. <laughs> speak for that. That's that's an awesome question. Um, I think definitely just like, so I have my my family background is my mom has worked in publishing for 
my whole life and my dad is a visual artist um, and an art teacher. So I think those things definitely uh, came together in how I found my way in the world. Um, and I think partly just like engaging different senses. Um, so like looking at something versus hearing something. Um, writing has always been really exciting to me that you can build you can use words to like create something that isn't physically there. You can create like a whole world um, that lives in the pages and lives in the words. Um, And that's sort of a different space from photography, which is much more, obviously you can do generative acts in photography, um, but it is kind of a recording act and it takes things that are there and holds them. Um, so I think they, they sort of, one is more creative in the sense of like making something new for me and one is more like reflective of like working in tandem with the world and what is there already and capturing like specifically what it is that my eyes are seeing that the camera is seeing with me. Yeah, also you mentioned- do you find yourself to be a, a more visual learner than a... Um- uh, verbal learner or there's a synthesis for you personally hmm, yeah I think I probably am more of a visual learner um I I you know had the advantage of school and I I can learn pretty well from a textbook I can sit down and read something and it usually makes sense but if I read it myself with my with my own eyes that definitely works better for me than having somebody else like verbally explain it to me um and then if I can like play around with it and like write some things out or, or draw myself a little diagram. I think that gets it really in my brain. Yeah. And you mentioned the art of Frida Kahlo as being an influence on you. Um, so they've talked a little bit about just the other, then also you mentioned the music as well. So you could mention a little bit of some of the artists and, and musicians that perhaps as the alternative, uh, other, um, mediums. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and I also, music has been really important to me for my whole life as well. Um, mm. But my family is very musical. I played the violin since I was like five years old. Mm. At one point, I was like, this is my life. I will be a concert violinist. <laughs> That's not what ended up happening, but it was still very fun. Um, so, yeah, uh, Frida Kahlo was like probably my, the first favorite artist I ever had. Um, and there's like a lot of reasons for that. A lot of stuff that she does with, with gender, like, speaks very strongly to me and I think is really important, but also just like the beauty and richness and strangeness of the images is really captivating to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Music I could go on like forever. Um, I I think I mentioned like one of my favorite musicians is Lady Lamb. I have recently seen her in concert for the ninth time. Uh, Mm -hmm. So definitely very dedicated to her. Um, But there's a lot of music that I really love. I listen to music sort of like nonstop. I listen to music while I write. I've written a lot in response to music that I've been really inspired by at a lot of different points in my life. Um, So I think it's really cool to get kind of that like ekphrastic art of being like, here's another beautiful thing. And that makes me want to like work on something that hopefully can like take its own space Mm. in the world in relation to that or like, Sometimes it becomes totally separate, but um, that is the background for it. But yeah, of live music especially, love to like feel the music happening 
and be present with it. Thank you. So, why don't we take a moment to listen to two more poems? Uh, we'll take a few more poems and then we'll start to wind down, but we have a little time. Yeah. 15 minutes. So. So this one is called Feral. In the hollow muzzle of my animal mouth, my teeth are sharp and bloody and my gums too bleed. I have the bright taste of something on my tongue, the shape and fervor of it. The way the world's been tending with its brutal hands to the bare earth, the way the foul waft of sick waters spilled fuel settles across our greasy skins, makes the small hairs rise across my neck behind my ears. When wounded, I will chew my own leg off. When fractured, I continue to compound. My blighted surface on the one hand, all the marrow of me roiling on the other. My jaw is sore, the ligaments flush and tender. I am soft snarl at the harsh light. I fold and compact into nothing. Thank you. Should I read one? No, read more, yeah. Um, so this is Flora. Tremor, burst of energy. Thoughts fast and lasting, long strands of pothos reaching through my throat, through my arms and fingertips, out my mouth. My mind in its contortions, in its flat-out sprints. My heart too fast. The leaves curl, unfurl, root down through my stomach. What gambit of my first mind made this possible? Perhaps the pretense of calm after, the idea of a broad and wholesome rest. Perhaps, on the other hand, the harsh impossibility of a quiet mind. I turn and settle as the foliage grows over green, choke on the tendrils, reaching toward the light. Thank you. Beautiful. Thanks. So, um, yeah, and also, like, just as we start to um, wrap up, like, thinking about the... um, the themes of the show, like we've been talking about, you know, this particular episode as well as other episodes, we've been talking about the personal as political as being a theme, uh, which is like part of the, you know, in line with the feminist, you know, uh, modality. Um, thinking about how we have uh, the interconnectedness of the truth to power, you know, kind of finding our empowerment mm-hmm. rather than not being, not, not so much being about, you know, power in the sense of, of um, you know, institutional power, but rather personal power, being able yeah. to, own that. So tell us a little bit about what, how that resonates with you and, and what that means to you, what those phrases mean to you and, and any other like kind of guiding modalities um, in your own life. You yeah. Um, I think like the idea of the personal being political is definitely like very important to me in my life. Um, obviously along with that, the idea of intersectionality, like mm-hmm. I, there are many positions of power that I hold in my identity. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like I am a queer woman, but I'm also like a, a middle-class college educated white person um Mm. and like definitely being aware that like yes feminism is really important and women have been a subjugated class through a lot of history and also like white women have been a really powerful force of racism especially in this country um and i think personal is political is about all of those intersections to me like knowing that nothing that i do exists in a vacuum and none of my actions or the things that happen to me are just about me they're all about like the systems of our world that have created the situations that I live in and also how I respond to those systems and contribute to them. Um, so I think that, I think that sometimes 
in the environmental world that can be like a little bit weaponized against us because we're like the personal is political. So you, the individual person better recycle or else the world's going to end. And like, I, I do think we should recycle, like definitely endorse recycling. Um, but also we need like fossil fuel companies to not be doing what they're doing. Um, but I think like in the broader sense, like, every the decisions that we make impact people and they impact people like day to day like the way that people treat me when i'm in my retail job impacts my life whether they're thinking about me as a person or just as like the person ringing them up but also like the things i buy and the people i vote for Mm. and how i interact with people on the subway like all of those things are political and are impacting other human lives and other systems all around us um which can be daunting but is also really inspiring that like individually we do have the power to like change how systems are operating and it's dependent on a lot of us collectively doing that and supporting each other through like broad community work but it's like very helpful to me to remember that like humans can do things and like the systems that we have are made up of humans and we can change things like together. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Thinking about like the places in which we have privilege, places in which we are experiencing that systemic oppression and all this kind of thing. And, and the intersectionality of those things are, are part of the, our identity. So in other words, like we want to acknowledge that there are certain ways in which we're benefited from the system and certain ways we were, we're not or aligned against. But at the same time, it, uh, an understanding that our identity is very malleable and very, very much in connection. Everything we do is having a ripple effect yeah. uh, outward into that society, into that systems, into those systems. So you can have an influence over them. Yeah. 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 Well, very well said. And, and um, yeah, I just want to know if you had any other kind of like actionable steps that an individual can do. I mean, you mentioned, of course, recycling, which everybody kind of, <laughs> kind of knows and whatnot, but and voting, some other uh, actionable steps that, you know, the average person can do to, to be mindful of yeah i mean i do think consumer choices like make a difference and thinking about like who you're giving money to is important if that is something that is accessible to you um i also think that um like tangibly and monetarily supporting people who are doing really important climate work which uh, i think especially right now dealing with oil companies is like a lot of native organizations are doing really important work in a place where they have been like really violently displaced. So I think like giving money to groups that are doing that work is huge. Um, And then showing up for those groups, like seeing what it is that they need, whether that's like calling representatives or if that's like bringing food to a community fridge so they can be supported or just like listening to people who are, are already actively on the front lines of those struggles and hearing what they say they need. And then doing those things instead of guessing what they need. Mm. Thank you. So you're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, listener supported radio. Um, radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community, promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on, don- on donations of listeners like you. Every dollar helps us to continue to stay on air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. 
Please support with a monthly pledge or one-time donation at RadioRepublican.org slash donate. If you're an Amazon shopper and like donating in a way that costs you nothing, go to RadioRepublican.org slash Amazon. Register Radio Brooklyn as your Amazon small charity. Every time you shop, a portion of your sales will go to uh, Benefit Ready for Brooklyn. If you're listening to this show in front of your computer, please hear yourself up by downloading the mobile apps for iPhone or Android, available in the App Store for iPhone and the Google Play Store for Android. And if you want to find out more about the art events or the upcoming um, shows or new shows or anything like new programming, anything like that, you can sign up for our newsletter at readyforbrooklyn.org slash newsletter. So, and also you can just go to readyforbrooklyn.org slash truth to power and you can find uh, the previous uh, episodes. We're, we're getting close to hitting 200. So I think we're at like 190 something. Um, and then also on, uh, what is it? November, uh, October uh, 23rd um, at 1 p.m. Uh, Scott and I will be present for a um, nine cloud journal public reading. So not, we're also editors of nine cloud journal, which is uh, a, a, uh, Literary Magazine, and we have, uh, you can find out more at ninecladjournal.org. And then uh, we have the reading, public reading on, uh, on October 23rd at 1 p.m. at King's Manor, King Manor in Jamaica. So there's a school, King Manor Museum in Jamaica, and you can find out it's at 1 p.m. in, uh, in that location. It's outdoors, uh, it's uh, under a terrace. We'll be reading, uh, many of our readers will be coming there. Uh, to read from who were published in the in the in the literary magazine. Okay, yeah, so, excited yeah. for that. I mean, there's 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 a uh, you know a third issue. We're letting people know you know kind of uh, who's been uh, from the submissions on that. We hope you know listeners will uh, will submit to future issues uh, on that. But um, you know we're we're here. We're talking with uh, with Esther and and want to know how can we find out a little bit more about some of your work? If you could tell us maybe some of the uh, either social media channels or where people can get a copy of Constellations uh, as well uh, and tell us yeah, a little bit more to how can we uh, learn a little bit more about you outside of the show yeah um, I am E.H.L. Matthew pretty much everywhere with the caveat that my last name is spelled the French way so it's E-H-L-M-A-T-H-I-E-U um, E.H.L.Matthew.com is my website uh, I'm E.H.L. Matthew on Instagram if you also want to like see a lot of content of my cat she's very cute um but also updates on poetry and art things happen there as well um constellations is largely out of print at the moment you may be able to find a copy still hanging out in like barnes and noble or on amazon but sometimes they show up in the strand i check sometimes sometimes there's one there hopefully it's not one of my friends donating their copy to the strand (laughs) um but the po- check out the Poets of Queens anthology. Um, if you Google me in connection to um, that, my work will show up. Um, and hopefully some more places soon. And they will definitely be shared on my website and my Instagram. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, yeah, so we have about five minutes left. So just to get a little lighter about... Um, you know what you've been, what you watched, what you did. You binge watch anything during the <laughs> pandemic or during the quarantine? And it was there anything that particularly that stood out to you as being interesting in this past year? Yeah. Um. What have I been watching? I've been watching um a lot of animated shows recently. Definitely want everyone in the world to watch Infinity Train. It's so good. Um, animated show about this train that like every train car is a whole world. Oh, nice. Really good. 
very much in the vein of Adventure Time, which I'm also rewatching. Yeah. Um, my roommate and I really dedicated ourselves to watching Mad Men during the worst of the pandemic when we uh, were very much trapped in our apartment, yeah. which was great. Like the the atmosphere of that was really good for the times. Just look at some great design, not be too stressed because it's history. So I already know what happened in the political sphere. Um, obviously, not that I'm the first person to recommend, but would recommend watching Mad Men. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. And then I'm, I'm literally always watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So <laughs> everyone should watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, so great. So Scott, anyone want to chime in with anything you've been watching? Or we, then we'll, uh, we have like a few more minutes. Uh, oh, 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 too much. You know, <laughs> yeah. honestly, just, uh, jumped on the, on, on the uh, Squid Game uh, wagon, um, which, yes. which I enjoyed thoroughly. Um but uh, I recently saw a, a documentary that, uh, um, called The Rescue, uh, which I would highly recommend. Same guy that did, um, uh, that did Free Solo and uh, Maru. Um, hmm. And basically, Nat Geo documentary, and it's kind of about the rescue of the Thai soccer team, uh, if you remember when they were trapped in the underground yeah. caves. Uh, but, yeah. um, you know, it's just a, a wonderful example of kind of the world coming together to kind of save, uh, save children. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I highly recommend that. And just you know, as, as it pertains to kind of yeah, nature uh, and, and climate climate change, you know, it's caused by kind of like a monsoon uh, where they were trapped kind of in this cave. But uh, you know, kind of people coming together to save them. So yeah, that's the one, one movie wreck for me. Cool. All right, great, great guys. Thanks so much for being here. We'll close out. And thanks so much for being here. And uh, hope to see you again. Hope to hear from you guys again next week, next Sunday at 11 a.m. Every Sunday at 11 a.m., 11 12. We air on readyforbrooklyn.org. Thank you. Awesome. All right. All right. Take care.